All right, well, I invite you to find the book of Romans if you want a copy of that. Otherwise, we'll put the scripture up there for you today. Romans chapter 1. Thank you, Mark. Good to have you here. We have commandeered Mark to help us with Sunday nights at Sailorville in the days to come. So those of you who need your Mark fix will be getting it, okay? So there you go. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, as we begin this section of condemnation, a section on sin and separation and why God is angry. Did you know God is angry? You say, well, I know he's love. That too. But it says something about his wrath here, so let's just read this together. Uh, Verse 18, for I am, I'm sorry, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them in up, that is, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable or vile passions, For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. To a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, Faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They do not, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. My wife is a fashion-conscious gal. Would you agree? I told you, dear. 
I told you. I mean, she's even big on the way I dress when I go outside to do the dirty work. If I'm going out there with a nice shirt on, honey, take that shirt off. That's, you can't do that. You can't do that with that shirt on. And uh, I've been sent to the room more than once. That is sort of how I feel about this passage right here, okay? And uh, you don't think I wear this all the time. I know it's going to disappoint some of you older ones. Oh, well, hang in there. This passage of Scripture is a dirty passage of Scripture, and uh, I'm going to treat it as such. And uh, I'm, I've, 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 I brought my work shirt with me, dear. And uh, don't worry, we ain't going any further than this. All right. And um, also, um, I can't hardly do this with my good shoes on that my wife got me. I got my work boots on for this passage of scripture. So we're going to change everything right here. So we can be... Nobody asked me about the white socks I was wearing today. So there we go. I crossed my legs when we were sitting there, and I, my white socks were showing. I thought, oh my goodness, my wife's going to know what I'm doing here. So here we go. Got my work boots on. I'm ready to go on this passage of Scripture. Because God is angry. He's angry at sin. And this passage of Scripture is bringing it out very powerfully, very vividly. And this is a passage of Scripture that begins this, this doctrine of what uh, theologians call the depravity of man. Men are, men are depraved. We are depraved people. And so um, we're going to handle it as such, okay? So if you can get over the visual, here we go, all right? Romans chapter 1, we just read the passage of Scripture. I mean, even on, I mean, you see this, even on Facebook. I put, I put uh, messages on Facebook several times a week, devotional messages, and if they're positive devotional messages, I get lots of likes. But when I say something negative, I get like 10 people to like it. We don't like bad news. I'm sure the same number of people saw the post. It's just not something we like to respond positively to. And when I read this section, I sort of anticipate the same. God is angry. He is righteously angry at his ultimate creation, you and me. And for good reason. And Paul's going to give us five of them in this passage, and so I give them to you. He's angry because we suppress truth. It says it right there in verse 18. He's angry. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The first three chapters of Romans affirm that God has never changed. Liberals like to tell us that oftentimes that readers of the Bible see two different gods, the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. But I would submit to you that he is the same God. Our God, Malachi 3.6, never changes. And he hasn't changed here either. The history of the world, as one writer put it, is the judgment of the world. And since nations cannot be judged at the end of time, they are therefore judged in the present time. That's a scary thing. We as individuals are are both judged in life and after life. Nations simply cease to exist and become, you know, 
footnotes in the history of the world. We live on under the wrath of God. That's why Jesus said, he who believes in me will not perish. But the wrath, those who do not believe, the wrath of God, John 3, 36, abides on them. The word wrath is the word orge. It means a settled anger that God had. It's not the kind of explosive anger, but it's a settled anger against us for our sin. It's a holy aversion to all that is evil. And it's wrath, notice it's wrath from heaven. I read that, I was thinking of the passage in in, uh, Genesis 11. Do you remember where it tells us uh, that when they built this tower, it says, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. It's God looking down, watching, and observing. I don't know what your concept of God is, But the Bible's concept is of a God who sees everything. God doesn't turn a blind eye. All the ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord, the scripture says. And as we'll see, that is absolutely opposite of you and me. 300 years ago, the great Bible commentator, Johann Bengal wrote these words, whatever is under heaven and not under the gospel is under God's wrath. And please note that, that we suppress the truth. The word suppress means to hold down, to restrain. I was working out in the, in the wind and got a little rainy here the other day and I, I feel like I'm, I'm catching a cold. I'm wondering if I'm going to have to take cough suppressants I don't have any you know I don't have any illusions to the fact that those suppressants they're not going to take the cough away but the idea is to restrain it to press it down that's what unrighteous men do that's what some of you are doing to the truth of God you're holding it down you're restraining it you're pushing it down it's the very same word as is used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where there's a reference to the Holy Spirit who the Bible says is suppressing evil right now when the time comes he's going to be taken away and then all hell breaks loose on earth because God is pressing it down even as we speak so in other words God while God in his love has held evil to a minimum, we are holding truth to the same. We're pressing truth down. And the sad thing about this is, this, while this primarily refers to those who don't know God, it certainly applies to Christians as well. I have seen Christians who have had great opportunities to let the truth explode and get out there and said they suppress it for fear of men. Here's a second reason that God's angry, because we've ignored the clear ways he has revealed himself to us. Verses 19 and 20, there it is, for what can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them. Even his invisible attributes, namely his power, his Godhead, were without excuse. Truth is more than just something to believe, it's... When the Bible speaks of truth, it speaks of that which we should embrace. And God has put the truth of his existence. Now listen to this. God has put the truth of his existence within every man. It is not the proverbial spark that Arminians talk about. 
but a consciousness nevertheless. Chapter 2 and verse 15 talks about there's a, there's a, a consciousness. God has put sort of a homing device within all of us to recognize that there is a God. That's why our conscience speaks to us when we do that which is wrong and against natural law. That's the reason why Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Why? Because we are, devo- we are eternal beings. We're going to live forever. And he says here in verse 20 that it's, 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 it's able to be seen. And the word perceived means to be seen. In fact, it's the only time the Greek word ever appears in the Bible and it always refers in secular Greek to that which is physical. And he's talking about the physiological creation itself. That's why David wrote things like, it's for you, know, for you not to believe in God, you're a fool. Only the fool, Psalm 14. Only the fool says in his heart, there's no God, right? And in Psalm 19, you have these beautiful verses which speak about how God speaks to us through creation. To the choir master, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, no words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This is God speaking. Remember David on a starry night, walked out, looked up, saw the stars in a moment of great praise and worship in Psalm 8, looked up and he said, when I look to the heavens and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made or ordained, what is man that you're even mindful of him or the son of man? You would care for him. Interestingly, the shocker is not that man thinks about God, but that God thinks about men. And David got it. The opposite is taking place in this passage. We're we're trying to push him out. We're suppressing truth. We're ignoring the ways he's revealing himself to us. Listen, God has stamped his image per se, both around all men and in all men. Our makeup and our maker are undeniable. They're undeniable. And but we yet we do. And it's because of these things. Now, this is very interesting. It says, at the end of verse 20, it's because of this that we're without excuse. That's a powerful line. It's a picture of somebody being caught red-handed with something they shouldn't have. That's the idea here. Now, well-intentioned missionaries, and you've heard them, often appeal to the dark places and why we ought to go and preach the gospel to these places in Papua New Guinea and other areas where, where they would say they have never, ever heard about God. But if that were entirely true, then this scripture would be a lie. They have heard. It might not be the gospel, but make no mistake, it's God. God is talking to all men by the consciousness he's placed within them of himself and the world and the order and the creation in which he is the author of. And this is the reason why stories abound of individuals in the darkest of countries who who are tired of worshiping sticks and stones. And by the way, they are worshiping sticks and stones. That tells you about man, doesn't it? There's something in their inner being that says, there is something greater than me that created this. I need to find out who he is. 
I'll worship that mountain. I'll worship that sun. I'll worship that moon. I'll worship this totem pole. And they condemn themselves, but some of them begin to seek after the truth, don't they? It's a beautiful thing. And these things are acts of God's love that we just sang about. God is speaking and speaking and speaking to the world in which we live. But when we ignore his messages to us, it makes him angry. The wrath of God is revealed. The revelation of God in creation is not enough to convert, but it is enough to condemn. Because every person on the face of this earth can see the witness all around them and even within them with the consciousness God has given them. Here's the third thing. Because we have, a third reason God is angry, we have have exalted creation above our creator. Verse 21 and following, though they knew God, or the idea is they knew about God. They didn't honor him as God, didn't give him thanks, became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts darkened. They claimed to be wise, they're actually fools, they exchanged the glory of God and things like animals, creeping things, and God gives them up. Verse 24, to the lust of their own hearts, dishonor of their own bodies, and then verse 25 is the clincher, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. The first sign of depravity, mark it down, the first sign of depravity is ingratitude. That's the first thing I see. Once you, the first sign that says we are not glorifying God, we're not honoring God, is our ungrateful hearts and lives. And that, I've met a few people who claim to be Christians who are as ungrateful as any unbeliever I've ever met. The first sign of ingratitude is I'm sorry, depravity is ingratitude. The first impact of depravity is on our mind. Did you see that? Our minds become futile. It's interesting, back down in verse 28, I think it is, where it says our minds become debased. They go from being dumb to debased, they, they, to completely depraved. But the, the first thing it affects is our minds and then our hearts. And once depravity gets a hold of our hearts, everything else is just ga- fair game. <clears throat> And this sort of, it's, it's the basis of this ingratitude whereby we don't honor God that unleashes this panoply of sins that just sort of, they're just sort of cascaded down there in those last few verses. And we're not going to take the time today to look at those things in depth, those many attributes of depravity. But it's a result of rejecting knowledge. Result of not honoring God. It's a result of not showing gratitude to the one who has given us so much. And in essence, God gives us over to our own demise. We go from being given to something to being given over to it. And this is where we get into this three times and three deep tears. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. And, and really, I got to tell you something. I think hell will be full of people who are in a fixed state of the current way in which they live. Eternally lost in a sea of sins ever pursued, never realized. If you're a murmurer, you will die in a sea of murmuring. 
If you are a liar, you will die in a sea of lying. If you are a lust-filled individual, you will die in a sea of lust. And you will never, ever have those lusts fulfilled. Your expectations will never, they are eternally lost. What exactly does Paul mean when he says repeatedly, God gave them up? Now, some commentators see God as this sort of as a, a pa- in a passive role where he just sort of, sort of lets them go. Others see this as more active, where God doesn't just let them go, he pushes them off. Uh, again, I mean, I just got done with this fishing trip. If you, I, I, got a, I got a couple more illustrations in the tank. Can you bear with me? So, Tom and I, we're going down. In, from the lake into the river. The river and the lake the, where the, you know, meet together and the current is very fast. All, all the other guys just sort of putzed around. They didn't want to dare to go down into that area where the, everything was, was really flowing. We throw an anchor down and it just catches the boat. Boom! You know, we're just, it just, it just wanting to put, the anchor is dragging and we're sort of creeping toward all these rocks and everything. But we got a line out. We're catching fish like crazy. And Tom looks at me and says, we can get closer. So I pull the anchor up, and the boat goes wild. Takes us over toward the rocks. We jump out, grab. I grab a hold of the rope. I'm just holding on that rope for dear life, and that boat's going all over the place. And I mean, if I let go of this thing, it's gone. And it's just a crazy moment. Both of us, we're just glad this thing wasn't videotaped, because it would be on America's Funniest Home Videos, I'm sure. But I'm holding on to this rope. I'm just, just to keep this thing, because I let go of this thing, it's going to get sucked right into the river, and we are not getting that thing back. There is a sense in which, not because it's difficult for him, but because he loves us, God holds up the rope, so to speak. He restrains us from going down that pike. But we're kind of like, we're like the guy in the boat, and God's holding on to us, and we're kind of smacking his hand, you know, let go, let go, and we, okay, he lets go, and we go. And that's sort of the sense here. It's a very, very strong Verb, it, it, it means to positively abandon something. And it, can't, it really can, it conveys the idea of handing someone over to the authority of someone else. In fact, this very same word is used in 1 Corinthians 5 where you have this individual who, who is involved in gross immorality. And Paul says, hand him over to, hand him over to Satan. For the destruction of his flesh that he might be saved in the, in the last day. Whew. Strong words. And so there is a point where God walks away, Satan steps in. And God is handing us over. I think uh, Eugene Peterson, his message Bible has this paraphrase. It's so powerful, I give it to you. It says, so God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. So verse 25 here is sort of a summary statement. It's sort of a summary statement of all that's wrong with you and me. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The result, we worship creation rather than the creator. 
We see this animal rights groups, PETA, Greenpeace, environmental extremists. I do mean extreme. I'm not against good conservation here. But when we exchange the truth for a lie, we make big things small and small things big. And nobody's bigger than God. Now, before you say amen, but thanks for the amen. It encourages me a little bit. What about your favorite team? What about your favorite athlete? Movie star, politician, shows, favorite cause? All these things taken too far become nothing, nothing less than idols. Substitutes for God. Exchanges. Silly, useless substitutes for God. Voltaire, no friend of God, he got it right when he said, God created man in his own image and man returned the favor. Mark Twain tweaked it. He said, God created man in his own image and being a gentleman, man returned the favor. There's nothing gentlemanly about this. And that's why he's angry. Because we have exchanged creator for creation. And we've exalted that over creation. Here's the fourth thing. Because we've exchanged natural things for unnatural things. The phrase, this is, this is where homosexuality is now sort of given a marquee. Not sort of, it is. The phrase, exchange, look at verse 26 and 27 where it says that men and women exchange natural relations. That's, in my opinion, interpretation of the scriptures, the various scriptures on homosexuality. This is the most convincing argument against homosexual behavior right here. Found anywhere in the Bible. It's also consistent with the context of the passage. Uh, there are several knots I want to bring to your atten- attention. First of all, and just five of them, I'll say them real quick. One, homosexuality and men struggling with how to deal with it is not new. It's not new. Genesis 19 That's Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a homosexual context, very clearly so. It's not new. Did you know that 14 out of 15 Roman Caesars were homosexuals and pedophiles? 14 out of 15. Nero married a little boy. So why do I tell you that? Is that some voyeuristic comment I should make? No, I'm trying to tell you, this wasn't new to Paul. This wasn't some prophetic statement. This was reality in his day. This isn't new. It's not new. It's not natural. Back in verse 20, God is angry because man rejects natural revelation. Here, he's angry because men reject natural relation. It's consistent with what he's been saying all along. God says there are certain things in observation and life itself that are natural. Homosexual, uh, homosexual behavior is as deviant to nature as idolatry is to God. It's not new, it's not natural, it's not safe. Hello, AIDS. The end of verse 27 seems to indicate something very eerie to me. And you too, I'm sure. But you can look at it, it says right there, 
in a prophetic sense and uh, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. All immorality is sin. All sin is sin. Everything is against God. I get it. But AIDS is proliferated by homosexuality. Nothing else. I mean, yes, you could say, well, it's dirty needles or whatever, but let's be honest. Generally speaking, it's proliferated through homosexual behavior. And it's not righteous. It's not righteous. I agree that we have to be sensitive to the homosexual that we are witnessing to, but we ought to be sensitive to everybody we're witnessing to, right? That said, we can't ignore the fact that God highlights this sin in graphic terminology. He calls it dishonorable passions. Some of your Bibles say vile. Literally, the Greek says passions of disgrace. Shameless acts against nature. So God marquees this sin and sort of separates it from this cavalcade of sins that are to come. And finally, praise God, even though it's not new, it's not natural, it's not safe, it's not righteous, praise God it's not incurable, amen? That's the reason why Paul said to the Corinthians, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor revilers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified by the Spirit of God. Praise God. The Lord Jesus Christ, who changed and is changing many hearts right here in this room, can change any heart. And if he changes our heart, he'll change our direction. He'll change the way we look at things. And he'll give us victory over life-dominating sins, whatever they may be. Here's the fifth reason God is angry. Because as truth is pressed down, our sins are piling up. And you see all of these sins. We're not going to reread them. You can look at them on your own. Just a cavalcade of sins. A vice list of mostly social sins, except he also adds, they're haters of God. And the final indictment is in the last verse. We're guilty of sin. We know we deserve to die. They deserve to die. We all deserve to die. And yet we approve. We approve it. What was God's first question to man? Do you remember? What was it? Where are you? You remember that? Where are you? Do you know where you are? Remember last week we finished the sermon talking about a little boy who was lost in the woods nearby, but he didn't even know he was lost. Several years ago, Dave Heisterkamp and I took off on a visit northeast of Des Moines. And we're going to visit a couple on their acreage and we got lost we couldn't find it we were and you know we did this before google maps we we're driving around every section you can imagine and finally we just gave up and called the guy what was the first question you suppose he asked me <laughs> where are you i don't know there's a silo over here to my right a little hill over here and it was totally maddening to the guy 
Here's a universal truth you should realize. If you don't know where you're at, you'll never know how to get where you want to go. If you don't know where you're at, you're never going to get to where you want to go. It's just not going to happen. God is asking you this morning, where are you at? Well, he knows. He knows where you're at, just like he knew where Adam and Eve were. But you need to recognize that you're lost, that you're exposed. And like Adam and Eve, you need new clothing. You need to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Amen? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, God, Father God, made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That what? We might become the righteousness of God in him. We are totally exposed before God. If you're a Christian, you might be thinking, well, this is a passage of scripture to, I mean, this, is, this scripture is for, for unsaved people. I can't do that. I got to put my shoes on first. But let's say you're a Christian. I have a few questions from the, this passage of scripture. Do you? Do you suppress the truth of God? Has there been a time in your life where you have, the truth of God has been very clear, you clearly need to respond to it in some way, and yet you've just pushed it down. You've heard God's word preached, you read it, your Bible one day, and you just press the truth down. Are you suppressing truth? If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have more than a God consciousness. You have God in you. In the person of the Holy Spirit, are you listening to his prompting? Do you obey him when he speaks to you and tells you what you need to know, what you need to do, how you ought to respond? And as a follower of Jesus Christ, Are you a grateful person? The very first sign of depravity is ingratitude. There is no one on the face of this earth, and this is not an exaggerated statement, there is no one on the face of this earth that should be more grateful than believers and followers of Christ. We're the only ones who can give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, right? We're the only ones because we have reason. 10,000 of them and more. Right? If you've never been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, know that God loves you. He has revealed himself in love to the world and very specifically through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to God except through him. If you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, do so today. He's more than a creator. He is the redeemer. The one who created you wants to redeem you. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we are grateful today that we can 
Open up your word and look at this passage of scripture. Difficult one indeed. That emphasizes your attitude, your settled attitude towards sin. And we confess, Lord, that we are suppressors of truth. And some of us, Lord, have heard the truth of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again for them. And they continue to suppress that truth. We confess, Lord, that we have not honored you for the ways in which you have revealed yourself to us, Lord. And some of us today are realizing, yeah, I I do see God at work in this world. And maybe that would be you today. You're finally opening your heart up to God. And some of us are realizing today that we've exchanged our creator for creation and we have honored things in creation above you, Lord, and we're seeing the idolatry of it all. It's convicting. And we're ready to turn from that as a believer for sure. And some of you here who have never placed your faith in Jesus, this might be the day where you'd say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being full of myself. I want God to come into my life and he will do that if you'll humble your heart and believe on his son who died and rose again for you. Will you consider these things? Oh God, would you exalt yourself? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.